Mike, I'd like to invite you up, please. I just want to say on behalf of all of you what a privilege it was to, to hear Susan, uh, Susan's testimony this morning. Isn't it encouraging to listen to how God is at work in each of our lives in many different and varying ways? Truly, our God is a faithful God. I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to check that I can get a bit of technology to work. Looks like all is good. This morning, church, we are continuing our I Am series. And this morning we're um, going to look at... Oops. This morning we are going to look at Jesus' statement, I am the good shepherd. While most of us who are Christians or who have... Thank you. While most of us who are Christians or have gone to Sunday school uh, are somewhat familiar with, with the shepherd imagery that's found in the Bible, my prayer today is that as we leave here, we will leave with a fresh awareness of what it means to proclaim, indeed to acknowledge that Jesus is a good shepherd. I want to start off by making a statement that could well offend those of us who feel that we are visionaries, that we're independent thinkers, that we indeed we are leaders, not followers. What I'm about to say is hard to accept because it speaks to who we really are, not what we would like to see ourselves as. Church, we are every one of us, to some degree or another, followers. Now, some of you won't have a problem with that, but I understand that there'll be some that are starting to get your hackles up already. Just what are you saying? I don't have a brain and I can't think for myself. I don't blindly follow after anyone else. And while I understand most of us are clear thinkers, well and truly able to make decisions for ourselves, there are nonetheless influences going on all around us that determine the direction of our lives. Think with me for a moment. Why do you wear the kind of clothes that you do? Why do your shoes have to be of a particular brand? Why do you listen to the music that you do? What attracts you to the car that you purchase? Or the house that you're happy to turn into a home? What about your career? The things you read? Why is getting and staying fit so important to you? Or losing weight, perhaps? Why is it important to change the colour of your hair? Tell me, why do our kids grow up supporting the football teams that they do? It's usually because there's some sort of uh, 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 influence in their lives. Why is it, do you think, that Shabu's kids are most likely to grow up supporting Hawthorne? I suspect that they've got some influence happening in their home. <laughs> why do we know that advertising is such a powerful tool, that... that companies spend millions of dollars on advertising because these companies understand the effect that it has on us. So often there are outside influences going on that colour the decisions we make in our life. It might be through the media, through advertisements, through the peer pressure of the friendships that we have or the comment of someone you respect or admire. Now being a follower is not a bad thing. In fact, we as Christians... 
are inescapably followers. That's what Jesus calls us to, to follow him. And I think one of the great hindrances to so many in our society, in the culture that that we're involved with, one of the hindrances to so many of them becoming Christians is that they believe the lie that somehow we're all masters of our own destiny. We live in a society, in the lucky country as it were, that means we don't have to go home and wonder where our next meal's going to come from. Nobody tells us what to do. I'm free to do what I want. That somehow through my own sheer will and hard work, I can be whatever I want to be. And yet all the while in the background, there are people and things that we crave, that we follow after. Well, the focus of this morning is found in John chapter 10, verse 11 and 21. And I'd just like to read that with you before we move on. John chapter 11, uh, sorry, John chapter 10 and from verse 11. Let's read together. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon or is insane. Why listen to him? Others said... These are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of one born blind? What happens in chapter 9 of John helps to give us context to what Jesus is saying here. What happens in chapter 9? There is a man who was born blind that Jesus heals. And throughout the rest of the chapter, there is this dialogue between the man... And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, between his parents and eventually between Jesus also. The Pharisees want to know, why was this done on the Sabbath? And they ask him some questions to try and determine, surely you weren't really blind? Or how did this happen? Is it trickery? Is he doing it from the, is his power coming from the devil? And then the man in verse 30 of chapter 9, he answers them. And he says, why is this an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. You see, this man, this blind man, had more spiritual insight than the leaders of the people. He understood what was happening. Later on at the end of of chapter 9 in John, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, are we blind also? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. 
We know that this healing was a catalyst for what is to come in chapter 10 of John because as we read in verse 21 there, the the people who had listened to Jesus' discourse on the Good Shepherd had the miracle of the man born blind in the back of their mind. The message of chapter 9 is that the leaders, the shepherds, the carers, protectors, teachers and guides of the people were indeed blind. Chapter 10 illustrates this blindness with an everyday analogy that all those who were present could understand. The Jewish audience knew the Old Testament had many references to shepherds. Some of Israel's greatest leaders were shepherds at some point in their life. The father of the nation, Abraham. There was Moses who led them out of slavery in Egypt. There was their most respected king, King David, a shepherd boy. And they knew that God used the picture of a shepherd throughout the Old Testament as an example of what the leaders of the people ought to be like in their care and concern. And we know it's a message that's carried over to the New Testament where we're told that the leaders of the church are called to be shepherds, under-shepherds of the church. But there's one particular passage that many of those hearing Jesus' discourse on the Good Shepherd must have had ringing in their ears, particularly the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees can't be accused of not knowing the Old Testament scriptures. Their problem was that it had no effect on them. Their problem was that they intellectualized it. Their problem was that they chose to interpret it any way they saw fit. Please turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 is a chapter that I would encourage anyone who is in leadership in the church of Jesus Christ to take heed of. Whether you're a pastor or an elder, whether you're a deacon on the, on the comm, whether you are helping out in youth or with young adults, whether you're teaching in kids' church, whether you're part of our wonderful playgroup ministry, I would encourage all of you to have a look at what God says to the people, to us, in Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, I'm not going to, to read the whole of Ezekiel 34 for the sake of time, but I just want to give you a snapshot of what's going on here. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1, God says, Man of God, I want you to speak against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of the people. The leaders of the people are condemned because they feed themselves, not the sheep. The weak they do not strengthen, the sick they do not heal, the lost they do not look for. Thus the people become food for those who prey on the weak. And we know in our day and age there are those that will prey on the weak. Please read with me from verse 10 in Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Down to verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. The end of the chapter, verse 31. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. So it's with this setting in mind, with blind leaders not shepherding or caring for those that they were called to as they ought, that the good shepherd address begins. 
As we turn back to John chapter 10, we will notice that the first six verses discuss a comparison, a comparison between a shepherd and thieves and robbers. The sheep are familiar with the shepherd's voice, but they flee from a stranger. Yet despite their familiarity with the shepherds in Palestine, despite their knowledge of the scriptures, due to their spiritual blindness, many of those who were present did not understand what Jesus was getting at. That they were the sheep, he is the shepherd, why therefore are they not following him? Why therefore do they choose to reject him? So in verse 7, Jesus begins to explain himself a little more thoroughly. Now, we read verse 7 and it might seem on the surface to be a little confusing to see a shift in metaphors. We, we find at the start of, of John chapter 10, we're talking about a shepherd and then we get to um, a metaphor that shifted and we talk about a door and then we head back to the shepherd later. But in fact, this is consistent with one of the key tasks of a shepherd. You see, the shepherd didn't clock off at five o'clock and then go home and enjoy his evening. In fact, part of the most important role of the shepherd was to care for those sheep at night when the predators were around. After the sheep were brought safely into the pen, the shepherd would place himself in the greatest danger where predators would find it most easy to access the sheep. He would sit, stand, or at some point in the night, I guess, he would actually sleep in the doorway a doorway that was typically nothing more than an, opened in some, an opening in some sort of walled-off area or perhaps a natural amphitheatre that meant that access to the sheep was limited. And Jesus further explains his word in verses 9 and 10 by proclaiming that through him we have life and we have it more abundantly. Any other way, means or effort to gain entrance to the fold is fruitless. And then we get to our text for today. And in this text, Jesus, in effect, shares the good shepherd's job description, followed by his own credentials, followed by the credentials of anyone who would want to take on this role. He tells us what the good shepherd does and who is truly qualified to fulfill that role. Well, the first part of the shepherd's job description we find there in verse 11. I am the good shepherd... The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd will die. Now, if you're anything like me when you think of the shepherd imagery in the Bible, uh, this might be the kind of picture that you have in mind. There's Jesus and the sheep are all around him, following him. He's got a sheep maybe on his shoulder. He's carrying his burden. Maybe he's tired or worn out, he's, he's got trials of his own, and Jesus is, is there helping. And there are passages in the Bible that support this kind of image of Jesus. There is the parable of the hundred sheep. What happens? One gets lost. What does the shepherd do? The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to look for the, for the one that is lost. When he finds it, he brings the sheep back, and there's rejoicing. Once the sheep was lost, and now it's found. We have written up on the wall here, Psalm 23. What a wonderful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. How many Christians through the ages have read Psalm 23 and been comforted, encouraged, built up in the trials of life that they've faced? 
But when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, here in John chapter 10, when we read what he has to say, perhaps this is the kind of picture we should have in mind. You and I at the foot of the cross. Because no less than four times in these verses, Jesus says that he lays down his life for the sheep. He says in verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, and again in verse 18. And we understand that there are reasons why God repeats himself in the Bible. It's because he wants something to sink in, to grab our attention, to cause us to stop and take note and ask why. You might say that death is the key requirement for the good shepherd. Now, I understand there are lots of dangerous jobs in our community. In fact, there's somewhere around 50 people a year die on the workpla- in the workplace in Australia. I guess I think of our emergency services, the fireys, uh, those who work in the police force, and even the ambos these days have to be careful how they go about their business. But I've never read... I've never seen, I've never heard of a job description that guarantees death is the outcome. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All of us who are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. The good shepherd will die, but not for his own sin, for the, for the sin of the flock for you and I. We love the words found in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. But I love what verse 25 says. Verse 25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The cross opens up the opportunity, the blessing for us, to return to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. The key requirement of the good shepherd is a willingness to die. But there are other things that the good shepherd must accomplish. Unlike other leaders we can think of, the good shepherd must be a leader like no other. We read that from verses 12 to 15. Here is a leader defined by his character and his willingness for self-sacrifice. He's not like the hired hand we read about, seeing his role as a mere means to an end, as an opportunity for advancement on the rung of the corporate ladder. He's not thinking what glory this job might lead to or how he might be rewarded in the task that he's undertaken. The good shepherd cannot fulfill his job description if he is one to give up when things get tough. If he is rejected, mocked, accused of being a liar, or if who he claims to be is dismissed or called into question, he does not seek revenge for his own sake. When those he has nurtured and poured out his life into fall away, he does not give up on them. Instead, what does he do? He forgives them. He prays for them. He seeks to restore, not condemn. 
a little earlier I said we're all followers to some degree or another and I think that it's in this sense that we're most like sheep. As each of us sit or in my case stand here today, we're being led by someone or something. You live your life according to a set of standards that you've decided is good for you or that you feel is right. Maybe it's as a result of the training or example of your parents. Maybe it's through reading a book. We would pray that it's through this book, the Bible. Or perhaps it's listening to podcasts or music. Through taking note of our sporting heroes. Through watching or reading media reports. Maybe we're being shaped through the Twitter feeds that we're involved with. Or perhaps we take the words of those intellectual giants that grace our screens on the myriad of TV reality shows that abound. Now that's a joke. I'm hoping that no one really takes them too seriously. But the point is that there are people and organisations we all look up to, respect and indeed tend to be swayed by. Yet there is no one you follow, no one you respect or admire, No one whose books or articles you've read or movies you've watched or indeed music you've listened to or in my case, no one whose motorcycles you like that has done for you what Jesus has. I received an email a few weeks ago from Harley Davidson. Some of you know I like motorcycles. I have a soft spot for Harley Davidson. I received an email from Harley Davidson and it was really personable as it started and it said, Dear Mike, we really value your partnership with us. You're a special part of us as a company. And then the sales spiel starts. We would like to offer you this unique opportunity. If you will trade your bike in on a nice, shiny new 2017 Harley Davidson, we will give you an extra such and such on your trade-in. Now, my wife, to her great credit, I'm sure she read that email, but she didn't even think she needed to come and ask me to just confirm that I wasn't going to just fall into the trap of just going along and signing up. You see, all of the people, the groups and things we follow are like the hired hands that Jesus describes. Their their interest in us can only ever go so far. While you're a source of income or you support them in some other way, they see value in you. But none of them will do for you what the Good Shepherd does. When danger, trouble or trial strikes, none of them will stand with you as Jesus does. For while you didn't know him, Christ died for you. Jesus is the Good Shepherd because he does what no one else will gives his life to bring us into the fold. Why take on this task? Why would anyone want to take on this task? Well, he does it in obedience to the Father's will, that you and I might know the one who is truly worthy to follow. At the start of John chapter 10, Jesus said the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and they follow him because they know his voice. And again, this thought is reinforced in verse 14, where he says, I know my own and my own know me. But then in verse 15, he expands our understanding. He reveals that our relationship moves 
on from simply being a follower, a servant, if you like, to having an intimate, close relationship with him. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Followers of Jesus share a bond that carries them through all the trials of life until one day he will welcome us into his glory. He's not ashamed to call us friends. As we already heard this morning, we are adopted into his family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We may boldly approach the throne of God and cry out, Abba, Father, and knows and know that he hears. That's the nature of the relationship he brings to his sheep, to those who would follow him. Can I ask, what is the nature of your relationship with the Good Shepherd? Are you guided by him? Or do you allow yourself to be guided by those who are ultimately, in reality, blind? What is it easiest for us to follow? What society deems as important, fashionable, successful or worthwhile? Or the good shepherd who always has the best interest of his followers at heart? I wonder, is our goal to know the shepherd more each day or are we content to simply bask in his goodness and get lazy and fat, spiritually speaking, as we enjoy the good things he supplies? That's not the relationship he longs to have with us. To know him is like any any relationship. It requires time. It requires perseverance. In the society that we live in, it requires us to be proactive and inventive in thinking of ways of how we can grow our relationship with him. You know, I found that despite the fact it's frustrating to drive 45 minutes there and back to work every day, it's actually an opportunity for me to spend time with my God. You can actually pray while you're driving. You don't have to close your eyes. God understands and he still listens and he still hears. You've got the opportunity to listen to podcasts. When you're exercising, trying to keep fit, you've got opportunity once again to commune with your God. Listen to something that's worthwhile. When you're gardening, you can do the same thing. Try an audible book while you're working at something but to truly know him it is not enough to just listen we must be prepared to do those things that he is asking and challenging us with that's what it means to be a disciple not just to be a listener but to be a doer also well verse 16 brings you and I into the picture church in that we are told that the good shepherd unites the Jewish audience will be joined by every nation Every tongue, every colour, slave or free, male or female, rich or old, young or old, rich or poor, I should say. It says there in verse 16, they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is our call. This is what he calls to us. We are all welcomed by the shepherd. If you're here today, if you are listening now, This is the good shepherd's call. Follow me. As I was thinking about the the blessings we have to be united in Christ, I was thinking during the week about what difference it ought to make to us in the way we live our lives. Just three observations. 
Firstly, we are called never to live in isolation, but in community. Sheep are not solitary, independent creatures. It's as we come to meet together as a group of God's people that we can encourage each other, that we can challenge each other, that we're able to bear each other's burdens. Someone has coined the phrase, our sanctification is a community project. And that's the truth of it. The second observation is submission submission to God's call to us, his sheep, submission to his word, to those he has placed over leadership in us, whether it be in a political or a pastoral setting. God expects submission. Husbands and wives submit to each other out of love for Christ. Children submit to parents, not because your parents are always right, or they're always perfect, or they're always even deserving, but because God says it will go well with you if you do. God will bless you for it. Parents, submit to God's word when it says, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Persevere with them. Keep a good, healthy, open relationship with them, that as they go through the challenging years, you might still be able to speak into their hearts. Third observation, sometimes it seems that while God unites, we his people are in the business of division. We seem to do it well. Whether it be through gossip, through planting seeds of discontent, perhaps as individuals there is sin in our lives that while we don't realise it is actually affecting those around us. Perhaps there are personality issues that cause us to not want to work with or listen to someone else in church life. Sometimes we're just too quick to judge others. You know, I love at the start of where Jesus healed the blind man in chapter 9 there. Jesus is passing by and he sees the blind man. And then his disciple says to him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or the parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or the parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him it's all too easy to walk through these doors someone hasn't got a job he's been out of work for a while i mean is he really fair income in looking for work there's someone who's going through family relationship issues well really if they'd spent the time earlier maybe they wouldn't be in the situation they're in there is someone that's going through financial difficulties well, if they'd have worked harder at school and got a better job or if they had been wiser in their, in their finances, you know, they're probably getting what they deserve. We won't say this to each other. There is illness or there is some other trial of life affecting and it's all too easy to think that we have the answer, that we know what's going on. When the truth is that perhaps, just perhaps, as Jesus said, These things transpire so that the works of God might be displayed in them, so that God would be glorified through their trial, so that we as a church may have the opportunity to minister and to journey with them to see them grow and to see the church as a result blessed. Division among God's people, it hinders our fruitfulness, it diminishes the gospel message to those around us and tragically it undermines the testimony of our God. Church, the good shepherd pay the ultimate price that he might unite us in him 
and yet sometimes we behave in such a way that others must look on and wonder how we preach a gospel of grace on the one hand while seeking to devour each other on the other. As a, as a church leadership team, we've been really grieved over the last few months to hear of first-hand accounts in this city, our own city, of churches who are going through these kind of things, division and strife. And if it grieves us, how much more must it grieve the Lord? Well, finally, Jesus points us to the shepherd's credentials in verses 17 and 18. What is the essential requirement to be successful in this role? It's divine authority. Only one with the authority to lay down his life and take it up again is credentialed to fulfill the role of good shepherd. It's an authority that comes from the Father. No one else in heaven or earth is able to fulfill the role of the good shepherd. You know, in no way did the cross take Jesus by surprise. He was not some pawn on the chessboard of history. Jesus willingly submitted to the Father's plan, flowing from the love that he had with the Father way before the world even began. As the good shepherd, Jesus had authority to lay down his life. In fact, without his assent, sinful man would not even have had the power to take his life from him. You see, Jesus' life was not taken from him. He willingly laid it down of his own accord. He had authority to defeat death, attested to by the resurrection, and it is in this that we have a hope that cannot be shaken. The writer of the Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. No one else we may follow gives us this hope, leads us on this path, frees us from what we're incapable of escaping. Now, as we conclude here this morning, what we find is as a result of Jesus' discourse on the Good Shepherd, there is a debate entered into in verses 19 to 21. Many, we are told there, thought he had a demon and that he was insane. Others said, could someone who is evil open the eyes of a man born blind? And I can get a kind of sense of their, their thinking. These people are starting to think, what he said about shepherding is consistent with the Old Testament scriptures where God said he himself would be the shepherd of his people. And then that you combine that with what just happened. A man who has been born blind, we've never seen anything like it before, is healed. And it's like the scales are starting to fall off their eyes. The pieces of the puzzles are starting to fall into place. You see, now it's decision time, folks. Now it's time to ask, who is Jesus to you? I mean, is this all a con? We come each week, we, we fellowship together. Is this nothing more than, than what we could get at the local footy club? Or is he who he said he is? the good shepherd that lays down his life 
who calls us to follow and draws us into a deep and meaningful relationship, who seeks to unite us with power and authority over all. You see, we don't look down on you if you were to turn around and say, I don't understand, I don't get it, I don't even believe. But what we would love to do is to have the opportunity to share with you why we know in our hearts, why we've experienced for ourselves that indeed it is true. I've talked a lot about the Good Shepherd today and not all that much about how the sheep respond to him. Because as you read through the passage, it is all about what he does. As far as I can tell from what I read here, his followers, all his followers did was to hear his voice and to follow. The rest he does on our behalf. He protects, he guides, he unites, he calls us. The message for all of us here today is will you hear his voice, but more than that, will you follow? He is worthy to follow because as the good shepherd, Jesus cares for us more than anyone else. He seeks us out before we even know we're lost. He gives us freedom to live the life that we could never live. He is intrinsically, unashamedly, lovingly, willingly invested in your welfare. No one who gives their own life is not invested in who he's given his life for. Truly, he is worthy to follow above all others. Our prayer is that you will join with us in following over and above everything else, first and foremost, the one who is truly worthy. As the music team uh, come up, let me, um, let me pray for us. So, oh, Father God, we want to thank you that only in Jesus Christ could the requirements could the standards required to be the good shepherd find its fulfillment? Thank you that it is he, God the Son, who died in our place. Thank you that he was a leader most worthy to be followed, that he unites us all in him. Oh God, as we go about our week, may you teach us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of him above all else that in our workplaces, in our schools, in our own homes, he would be glorified above all else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.